Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They'll become disenchanted with that anticipation of his return. Some are going to grow very weary. Some are going to relax in their passion for the Lord. Their desire for His return is going to grow pretty cold. Why? Because He hasn't come back yet. The lamps of their life and witness are going to grow dim. Why? Because they waited with anticipation and He hasn't come yet. And they waited and waited and He's still not here. So we grow weary. We grow weary and waiting. But Jesus says, blessed are those servants who remain ready for his return. There are a number of teachings on the return of Christ, but the Bible teaches that no man knows the day or hour of his return. In light of all the waiting and theories, one thing we know for sure, he's coming back. In our time with Pastor David today, we'll hear what the Bible says about having a mindset that is future-focused, ready for his return. While some grow weary in the speculation and waiting, There are others that will renew their strength by advancing the kingdom of God, by the gospel of His love. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Future Focused. Probably every one of us uh, can be characterized by one of these three things. We live our lives either in the past or in the present or in the future. I know that that might seem pretty simplistic to some of you, but bear with me if you would as we share the message this morning. The ones living in the past tense, they're the ones whose lives seem to be continually drawn back to the good old days. You remember the good old days. Their thoughts, their minds, uh, they're continually, even their desires, they're caught up and and brought back to those days of nostalgia. In a spiritual sense, though, they long for what the Lord did back then. They, they, They wish the Lord moved the way that he moved back in the day. They're saddened by the fact that it's just not the same today. After all, everything was so wonderful back in the day. The problem is, is uh, the memories are usually pretty myopic. They focus only on what you want to focus on. And beyond that, the truth is, things will never be as they were. And it's probably not quite the way you remember it anyway, you know. Now, for those that live in the present tense, they're the ones uh, that they really can't look forward too far because they're too consumed by the things of the present. The things of the past don't really matter to them uh, because they're caught up in current events. And once again, in a spiritual sense, they're the ones that they're not really looking forward to the future and what it holds. They're too anxious and caught up in the problems of today, or they're too satisfied with today. 
They lack the patience to understand that the events of today actually prepare us for tomorrow. They either want it all today or they simply want it all to stay just the same and not change. Now the third group, these are the ones that live their lives in the future tense. They tend to be those that recognize that the past and the present are only here just for a moment. They see the past and the present simply as conduits used to get us to the future. They realize how the events of the past and the present help prepare us for the promise of the future. They acknowledge that the problems of the past and they need to be released. And the struggles that we have right here in the present, they're only for a season. Why? Because their eyes are on the future. Their eyes are on the promise that the future holds. We begin our study this morning actually going back in Luke chapter 12, and uh, our study this morning actually begins at verse 35, but I want you to back up one verse to verse 34. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus speaking to his disciples there, and in verse 34, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're in the past, your heart is in the past. If you're present, you're holding on to the things here. If it's the future, you're anticipating, you're looking for what the Lord has. This is a standalone statement, really, uh, that Jesus makes. It, it can be used uh, without the context because, again, you can't hardly get the context wrong with what he states here. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. He's making this statement to kind of help get his followers, his listeners there, to get their hearts and their minds focused on the things of his kingdom. And all of us are moved by the things that are dear to us. Amen? You know, the things that are most dear to us, that's what drives us. Those things that mean the most to us are the things that our, our minds and our hearts are kept on. That's the things that our actions gravitate towards. And that's why Jesus tells his followers that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. If we're caught in the past, we have a hard time imagining the future. If we're consumed by the present, the future really doesn't hold much attraction for us. And yet in God's kingdom, as followers of Jesus, we have to be focused on the future, the hope of the future promises and the future of our coming king. God has called us to be people with a vision, forward-looking vision, not stale and stable, being held back by the past or even uh, immobilized by the present. With that kind of an idea in mind, let's continue on in Luke chapter 12. Look now in verse 35. Jesus declares these words. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Oh, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find them watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour 
you do not expect. Jesus is telling his followers here to be that kind of people with a mindset for the future. Not, not a far distant future, but a future that could come into play at any moment, at any time. Because the faithfulness of God that we've seen in the past, because we know of his faithfulness, beloved, we need to be prepared in our present walk to be anticipating that future promise, to be anticipating that future presence of the Lord in our lives. The fulfillment of all that his word declares. It's this heart anticipation, believing that what the Lord has promised he will accomplish. It is that heart's anticipation, that mind focus, that again has us ready for action. He's promised he's coming again. Are you actually living as though it could happen any day? I've got it throw myself in that boat also. I've got to ask myself that same question. And I've got to tell you that even as I've studied this and prepared this week, I got to thinking, man, there's too many times that I get too comfortable with the present. Or my mind does go back to the past and think, oh, it was so sweet back then. Well, beloved, we need to be drawn, drawn to the future continually. Jesus tells his followers, let your waist be girded. Now that's, uh, you know, we usually don't tell each other that, uh, you know, hey, is your waist girded? Uh, I'm coming over. That's, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you knew what was going on in the day, in that first century, uh, men and women both wore robes, long robes almost to the ground. If they were going to do much manual labor, what they would do is they would reach down and grab the front and the back of that robe pull it up, and then stuff it under the sash or the belt that they would wear, and in essence, give them a pair of short pants to run around and work in. That way, the, the outskirts of that robe wouldn't get in trouble or wouldn't get in the way with what they were doing. Also, if they needed to move someplace really fast, you're not going to do that with that big old robe flashing around. You reach down, you grab it, you stuff it in, and you take off, okay? So what Jesus is telling his followers here is, you need to go out this afternoon, get you some sports shoes and some running pants. No, he's speaking again of the mindset. It's the mindset of being ready, being ready for action, being ready to move at a moment's notice should the Lord say, hey, you need to be doing this. You need to be active about it. And say, well, I've got to prepare. I've got to get ready. No, he wants those who are ready, those to be found as one who is working, our robes already girded up out of the way. Already we are available for the work. And along with that preparation of the robe, he tells them to have your lamps burning. We walk into a room and within the arm's reach of any door, there's usually a light switch. That's easy for us today. Hey, turn the lights on. Okay, click. That's not quite how it was in the first century. As a matter of fact, in the first century, it was kind of a pain to keep the lamps burning. As, as an individual, you would have a lamp, and I brought this today just so you could see it. This was an individual lamp during that first century period. It's a Herodian lamp during the time of Herod, during the first century when Jesus lived. They found thousands and thousands of these all over in the area in archaeological digs. These were personal lamps, and in these personal lamps, you would put the oil, and out the front of this, there'd be a small little piece of a wick. And to keep that lamp burning, it was quite the process. 
Number one, there's not much oil that goes in here, so it's not going to burn for days and days without you taking care of it. So they would also have a small little thing of oil that they would keep handy and available to keep their lamps lit with sufficient oil. Jesus speaks of the parable of the ten virgins about having enough oil, and that's where that idea, there's not much you're going to have in this. Plus that little bitty wick there, it had to be trimmed on a regular occasion as it burnt down and readjusted in order for the lamp to shine brightly. And if your lamp went out, beloved, it wasn't you got the big lighter out and you lit it again. No, you either had to find another lamp that's already lit to relight yours, or you had to scour around and find a piece of flint that you could get a spark going, get a flame going, and relight your light. But that's why you have to keep your lamps burning. So was Jesus talking about lumens? No. He's talking about the light of our lives and being in that attitude and that heart of preparation that would be prepared, prepared for whatever came about, that continual mode of readiness within our lives, prepared for whatever might happen whenever the Lord or the master might come. Jesus tells him, be like those men who wait for their masters, anticipating he says, and then he returns, uh, he comes, he knocks on the door. They open up to him immediately. It's not like, oh, wait a minute, hold on, let me, let me, let me, let me get the light. Hold uh, we, no, that anticipation that you're there and you're ready. In other words, their robes were girded up, their lamps were lit. They were prepared to do whatever the master called them to do whenever he calls them to do it. And when he finds his servants in that condition, he rewards them in a very public way. Look what it says there. He says, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he himself will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. You see how the master comes when he finds faithful servants with their minds focused on his soon return, their lives prepared for service, the light of their lives shining brightly. He comes in and it says immediately he rewards them. Jesus tells him by way of this parable that, that he will gird himself and he himself will sit them down to eat and he will come and he will serve them. Why? Because it's the reward of being a faithful servant, a follower of Christ who is ready for the master to come at any moment. Those who live their lives in the future tense. One other thing. When you're living your life in a future tense, it's a whole lot more difficult for the things of this world to distract you or to ensnare you. You're anxiously anticipating your master's return. I don't care about that. I'm waiting for my master. I don't want to get caught up in that. Man, I'm waiting for my master to come. That's the kind of heart. That's the kind of uh, mental attitude that Christ is saying that you and I need to have as believers. And in this passage, we find one other interesting thing. I believe that Jesus might actually be giving a hint of the timing of his return. Look what it says in verse 38. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. 
What do you mean by the second or the third watch? Well, during that time, there are actually two time frames or two ways that they divided up the night. One was the Roman time frame. The Roman time frame, they had four different night watches, three hours apiece. So it began at six in the evening, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight was the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. was the third watch, and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m was the fourth watch. So the second or the third watch in Roman time, that would be from nine to midnight or midnight to three. Now in Jewish time, they actually divided the night into three different sections of four hours apiece. It went from six in the evening till 10 in the evening, from 10 in the evening till two in the morning, and from two in the morning till six in the morning. So the second and the third watch in Jewish time was from 10 in the evening till two, or the third watch from two in the morning till six. Personally, I think that Jesus was referring, as he's talking to his followers, I believe that he's referring to the Jewish time frame. And again, when we look at that, with Jesus giving the option that the possible return might be during that third watch, the last watch of the night, I believe that he might be alluding to the point that he may come at that point in time where it's darkest before the dawn. That time, man, from two o'clock in the morning till six. If you've ever worked a, a overnight shift, you know, man, that's the hardest hours. Three or four o'clock in the morning just before the sun starts coming up, particularly if you've worked all night. Can you anticipate? They're waiting. They're anxiously waiting for their master to come back. And it's midnight. Oh, he hasn't come yet. You know, you're slapping yourself. Oh, he'll come anytime. All of a sudden, it's two o'clock. Oh, my goodness. I'm so tired, but he might come at any time, three and four. You see, that third watch goes all the way till six in the morning. But you know, the problem is, and I know it's speculation, but I believe that there's other scripture passages that allude to the reality that our Lord is going to come at a much later time than what we might anticipate him. But we need to be anticipating him at any moment. I believe Jesus was hinting at the fact that before he comes back, it's going to be some very, very dark times. Men are going to grow tired of waiting. They'll become disenchanted with that anticipation of his return. Some are going to grow very weary. Some are going to relax in their passion for the Lord. Their desire for his return is going to grow pretty cold. Why? Because he hasn't come back yet. The lamps of their life and witness are going to grow dim. Why? Because they waited with anticipation, and he hasn't come yet. And they waited and waited, and he's still not here. So we grow weary. We grow weary in waiting. But Jesus says, blessed are those servants who remain ready for his return. You see that whole understanding of the darkness before the dawn. We see that throughout the New Testament. We see that as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to him, he says, Timothy, know this, that in the last times, perilous times are going to come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. All this is just in the political realm. But uh, then without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. But you know what? The lost world's always been that way. I don't believe he's talking about the lost. I believe he's talking about you and me. I believe he's talking about the church. I believe that he's talking about the church, that the church has been talking about the second coming of Christ for so long and anticipated his coming for so long. And the hour's growing late and we're just weary. We're just tired. So we start, again, looking more like the world than like the holy and the righteous bride of Christ. Instead of looking like citizens of heaven, we start looking like the products and the citizens of this world. I want you to turn to this passage with me, if you would. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. Even Peter, as he's speaking about the last days, he says, man, there's a lot of things that are going to happen just prior to the return of the Lord Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes there in 2 Peter chapter 3, down in verse 3, he says, scoffers are going to come in those days. They're going to walk according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now, again, let me pause here because we need to see this in the context of what he's speaking. There's always been scoffers. Man has always walked according to his lusts. So what's the difference here? Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to the church and he says that in those last days, scoffers are going to come. Yeah, even within the church. Those that walk according to their own lust. Yeah, even within the church. They're going to say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, there's a lot of churches that don't teach and don't anticipate, don't preach and don't encourage you in the reality that, man, Jesus is coming and he's coming at any moment, at any time. Whether it be through the rapture or the second coming, they just don't teach it anymore. They don't share it. Because I believe, again, the weariness of so many. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything's continued on as it was from the beginning of creation. But Peter says, hey, they're just willingly forgetting the fact that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You don't believe in a great judgment. You don't believe in the reality of what they used to call hellfire and brimstone. You don't believe that the judgment of God is going to come in a dynamic way. Then just cross that out of your Bible, rip that page out of the book, and continue living your life totally deceived. Because the truth of God's word is there. Do you believe it? And if you really believe it, is your life responding to it accordingly? Look what he says, verse 8. Beloved, don't forget this one thing. 
that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now, we don't need to start calculating this. We can, and we can speak a lot about that. But what he's speaking here is that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I came to Christ really and fully in 1970. I'd been a member of a church, active in a church up until that time. But in 1970, I gave my heart and life to Christ. I'm glad Jesus didn't come in 1969. Some of you may have only known the Lord for five or ten years. Aren't you glad that He didn't come in 2000? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.